We all have questions. We all need answers. It is on this program that we get our answers from the Bible. It's time to Ask the Preacher with Rev. Carl Gallops of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Milton, Florida. Welcome to another edition of Ask the Preacher. I'm your host, Mike Bates, and with me in the studio, as he is every week, is the pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Milton, Florida, Reverend Carl Gallops. Welcome, Carl. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. My question for you today is one that is asked out of both joy and sorrow, largely because I don't know what the answer is yet. Now, maybe... After the answer, it will be 100% joy. Well, tell me the question. and then <laughs> Jesus clearly suffered on the cross. Uh-huh. And with the scourging before that. Yeah. And I understand he did that for us. Right. Okay, he did that for me. Mm-hmm. At the end, before he died, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. I hear those words as a layperson and think, did he think that God turned his back, his own father turned his back on him? And so my question for you, which is far bigger than just that, and there may be some follow-ups as the show goes along, but the broad question that I have for you for today's program is what really happened on the cross? Okay. Well, Mike, that's a tremendous question. Thanks for asking it. And particularly, thank you for focusing in on those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because people, theologians have grappled with those words for a long time. And there have been all kinds of theories put forward. There have been many sermons and Sunday school lessons preached and taught on those words. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It has made for some good preaching over the years, Mike, concerning um Uh, You know, I've heard sermons along the line of, well, because Jesus had taken upon himself the sins of the world, our sin, your sin, my sin, uh, he was in such a sinful state at that point in time that God the Father could not look upon this sin because he is holy and he turned his back on him and and could not look upon him. Jesus, um, being uh, a spiritual man, if you will, uh, being able to understand the spiritual dimension, saw this and understood this and felt this and knew this and cried out as if you as if to say please father don't don't leave me now don't turn your back on me now and and that makes for good preaching it makes for an emotional preaching a lot of that is true in that Jesus did take our sins upon him the bible is clear about that he did not only take them upon him, but the Bible says he became our sin. In 2 Corinthians, it says he became our sin. He became sin for us. And that's even at a deeper level than taking our sins upon himself. So, so yes, all of that is true. That, that happened. But I want to show our listeners this morning from the scriptures that, that the theological biblical truth, and the Bible answers this. If you'll let the Bible speak for the Bible, you'll be amazed at where the, uh, <laughs> how many answers are there. But what actually happened, God did not turn his back on his son. God did not reject him. God did not uh, turn his face from Jesus. And Jesus was not 
fussing at the Father, if you will. He wasn't saying, he wasn't saying, where are you now? Why are you leaving me? What's happening? But rather something much, much more profound was happening. Something much deeper was happening. Something unbelievably awesome was happening. And that's what I want our listeners to hear this morning. So thank you for asking that question. You're right. Out of what I'm getting ready to say, probably other questions will come and and other topics can be addressed concerning other things that happened on Calvary's cross. But I do want to begin with what actually happened on Calvary's cross and particularly those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, the thing that I want to do, and this is something that I seldom do on this program, and and, and, and I don't (laughs) say that to apologize for it. It's just that in trying to keep the show fast moving and easy to listen to, I generally don't read large passages of scripture. But this morning, I I do want to read, uh, I do want to read four, five, six paragraphs from Matthew chapter 27. I do want to read this, and it is the account of Jesus being on the cross, because uh, it, it, it will answer the question, and it will, it will be very surprising to people as this program moves along what is said here and what Jesus meant when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So let me just read, and listeners, uh, hang in there with me. I want to point out some things along as we're reading. But from Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 32, Jesus has already now been tried before the Jews and Caiaphas and then before Pilate and the people and he has been sentenced to crucifixion and they've already scourged him and verse 32 picks up with and it says and as they were going out they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and they forced him to carry the cross now they came to a place called Golgotha which means the place of the skull there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall but after tasting it he refused to drink it now remember that then it says When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothing by casting lots. In other words, they were gambling for the clothing, and Jesus apparently had some pretty nice clothing there, by casting lots. Remember that statement. This is all going to be very important in a few moments. After sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him, quote, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews, end quote. And then verse 38, two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it back in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him. Now, if he wants uh, him, uh, for he said, I am the Son of God. And in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So Mike and, and listeners, remember this about all this insulting and the mocking and the charging him. If you're the Son of God, then deliver yourself. If you're so powerful, you can come down from the cross. Remember all that. That's very important as well. Then verse 45 says, Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. Now, that would be in our modern day time reckoning from 12 noon to 3 p.m. Because the Jewish time reckoning, the first hour was 6 a.m. in the morning. So the sixth hour would have been high noon. The ninth hour would have been 3 p.m. So those are important times to remember, especially the 3 p.m. you'll see near the end of the show here. Then verse 46 says, at about the ninth hour, in other words, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lava sabachthani, 
which is Aramaic, uh, Mike, and, and it says, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All right, there's the key verse. That's the question Jesus asks from the cross, apparently. Verse 47, now when some of those standing there heard this, they said, notice the those and the theys. It doesn't identify directly who they are. He's calling Elijah. Now, Elijah, of course, being one of the Old Testament prophets, a lot of the Jews thought that Elijah was going to return just before the Christ returned. And so they thought uh, before the Christ appeared, before the Messiah appeared. And so uh, that's why they were thinking that he's calling on Elijah now. So verse 48 says, immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now the rest of them said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Now, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud spirit, it says he gave, excuse me, in a loud voice, it says he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. And then going on down to, uh, to, to verse 54, it says, now when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. <laughs> so Mike, there's... The account, according to Matthew, and uh, the other Gospels bear out much of this, and all the Gospels have um, much of the same and or um, some additional stuff, but that's, that's a good accounting, a good synopsis accounting of what we have in our written records of the New Testament of what happened at Calvary's cross. Now, we come back to the question of, what did Jesus mean when he cried out, my God, my God? Why have you forsaken me? Again, most of the traditional preaching and teaching has been along the lines of, well, that's when God turned his back on his son. And that's when God couldn't look any longer upon him. And Jesus couldn't look upon the face of God because Jesus was covered in the sin of the world and God's holy. And, and so God forsook him. Well, Mike, first of all, I, I, some of that's true in that Jesus did have the sin of the world on him, but it, it doesn't make spiritual sense to me. I, I never thought, whenever I heard that before, I never thought, you know, no, Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew he went to the cross for this. This is what he came for. God knew. God the Father knew what God the Son was doing. God the Son knew what God the Father was doing. God the Father would not have tricked Jesus. If Jesus was asking this question like that, that means Jesus didn't know. Why are, where are you? Why are you leaving me? Which would mean that there was a part of the plan that God had not revealed to his Son. It was kind of a trick or kind of a, a plan B kind of thing. It just, it just never made sense to me. But then as I grew in my understanding of the Scriptures, the Lord showed me exactly what he meant by this. The answer is in the scripture, Mike, and the answer is clearly in the scripture, um, uh, undeniable, unarguably in the scripture. As I progressed in my understanding of, 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 of scriptural history and context, I discovered a very important thing, Mike, that the ancient Jews um, and the rabbis in the synagogues would often refer to passages in the Old Testament, which was their Bible of their day because they didn't have the New Testament. Mm -hmm. They would refer to passages, Mike, by first lines of sections and or by scrolls. Now, here's what I mean by that. In Jesus' day, they didn't have chapters and verses. That didn't come about to hundreds of years after the New Testament even was canonized. Um, so they didn't have chapters and verses. And so when you wanted to read from a certain portion of Scripture, they might say, go to the scroll of the Psalms to the shepherd's psalm. Now, we know it as Psalm 23. And they would say, you know, let's read the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And everybody knew where that was. And, or they would say, go to the scroll of Isaiah or go to the scroll of Jeremiah. And then they would refer to a particular passage by the first line of that passage. 
that was a very traditional and historically undeniable way that they referred to passages of Scripture. Well, what was Jesus doing on Calvary's cross? When he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's asked in a question form because that's the way it is stated in the scriptures. It is the first line of what we now know as Psalm 22. Now, when you read Psalm 22, it is astounding because Psalm 22 was written by King David. King David lived 1,000 years before the coming of Jesus. 1,000 years, Mike. The United States has only been a nation a couple, couple of hundred years, so five times longer than the United States has been a nation. This prophecy was written, this psalm was written by King David. Now, much of the Psalm 22, and I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to read chunks of it because much of Psalm 22 is written as much Old Testament prophecy is where the prophet who's speaking begins by speaking about himself, but then it morphs into a prophecy of, 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 of the coming Christ, for example, or something that's going to happen in the life of Jesus, then it morphs back to the prophet. Then it morphs forward again into the prophecy. Theologians will tell you that this is a common trait of Old Testament prophecy. It is a common trait of Psalm 22. So I want to read the selected portions as we go through Psalm 22 and show you what happens and why Jesus said what he said. What he was doing is he was referring the people standing at the foot of the cross to Psalm 22. In other words, while they were crucifying him, he was saying, you know, look what's happening to me and go read Psalm 22. Go read, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so here's how it starts. Verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now that would be David speaking, probably at one of the low points in his life. But then he goes on. Verse six, but I am a worm. I'm not a man. I'm scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults. They shake their heads at me. They say, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Wow, Mike. That's exactly what was happening to Jesus on the cross. No kidding. But wait, it gets much more unbelievable. Then we go to verse 12. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Bashan were the ancient enemies, some of the ancient enemies of, of, of the Jews. But think of the Roman, uh, the Roman centurions and the Roman guard there, the strong bulls surrounding the cross. He says, roaring lions tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint, which is an exact medical truth of a crucifixion. Mm -hmm. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, I am, you know, I thirst and they were offering him these drinks, but they kept mixing it with pain killing drugs. And mm -hmm. once he tasted what it was, he refused to take it. He refused to have his pain killed because that was a part of the sacrifice. But keep reading verse 16. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. Listen to this, Mike. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Whoa. Now they crucified Jesus by piercing his hands and his feet. Now, Mike, that prophecy was written 1,000 years before Jesus. Uh, crucifixion was basically invented and per it was perfected by the Romans. It was invented by a, 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 a people before them. But in the time that this was written in 1,000 B.C., in 1000 BC, in the time that this was written, crucifixion was not invented. 
It was not even known of. When Psalms was when, written. Excuse me. When Psalms was written, it was not wow. invented. Uh, crucifixion. So, so David says, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Keep reading, though. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Incredible. 1,000 years before it happened now. All right, now I want to stop right there for just a moment, Mike, because I've watched your eyes get big as you're reading it with me. I've listened to you say, wow, incredible, I've never unbelievable. Heard this well, this and many people have not, but this is the truth. Jesus was not angry at God. He was not questioning the Father. He knew what he was doing, he knew why he was there. God knew why he was there. He was telling the people, folks, go read your Bibles. Mm-hmm. Look what you're doing. You're gambling for my clothing. You've pierced my hands and my feet. You're surrounding me and circling me like dogs. You're hurling insults at me. The very insults you're using were recorded 1,000 years ago. Let him save himself. He trusts in God. Save himself. Jesus was saying, look, you're fulfilling the prophecy to the letter. To the letter. And the prophecy was about the coming Christ who would suffer and die for the sins of the people. Now, let's get to the argument that, well, God turned his back on him. Psalm 22 answers it. Look at verse 24. For he, that is God, has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. The answer is right there. Did God turn his back on his son? The Bible says he has not. not. Did did God hide his face from his son? The Bible says absolutely not. Did God forsake his son? The Bible says absolutely not. It makes for good emotional preaching, but it is not correct, Mike. So bottom line, Mike, here's what was happening. You say, you know, you asked me and you asked it perfectly. What really happened to Calvary's cross, particularly in regards to my God, my God, why is thou forsaken me? Here's what really happened. Jesus basically, to put it in modern day Milton vernacular, he's saying, hey, y'all, open your Bibles. Mm -hmm. Go to Psalm 22 and you will see the fulfilling of prophecy before your very eyes. And Mike, I'm telling you what, I'm convinced. That's why the centurion and those with him, the Bible says, they fell on their faces and said, oh, my God, we've just crucified the son of God. I'm convinced because after he said that, the sky turned black, the clouds opened up, the sky opened up, the earth shook, there was an earthquake, all of these huge things happened. In fact, in Matthew 27, it says that when they saw these things and everything that happened there, then the centurion says, surely this man was the son of God. Why would he say that? Because he knew the scriptures. Now, now that might surprise you. You say, well, what would a Roman centurion do knowing the Old Testament You're scriptures? You're reading my mind. Well, <laughs> but histor- historians tell us, Mike, that there were many. Well, when you go to the book of Acts, you read about, um, you read about uh, the, 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 the God-fearing uh, uh, Roman uh, soldier Cornelius, uh, who, who had invited Peter to his home. Uh, to preach to his family. He was a Roman centurion, mm-hmm. but he knew the scriptures. He knew them backwards and forwards uh, and, and, and knew about the coming of the Christ and knew that Jesus was being proclaimed as this coming Christ and invited Peter to his home uh, to, to preach about it. Um, there are other passages of scripture about, about um, uh, God-fearing Gentiles. Historians tell us that many of the Roman soldiers who were stationed in or around Jerusalem ser- read the scriptures and immersed themselves in the Jewish culture to understand and to know what this was all about, what their culture was all about. And many 
of them also became believers in the one true God of the Jewish faith. Um, historians tell us that. So the Bible doesn't say that this guy at the cross was one of those per se. But when Jesus said, uh, Eloi, Eloi, lava salakhtani, it says, hey, some said, because he was speaking Aramaic, some said, hey, I think he's calling for Eli. Well, the Eloi, Eloi sounds like maybe Hebrew for Eli, mm -hmm. but rather he was saying, my God, my God. And then when he's quoted, why hast thou forsaken me? And those who understood that he was referring them to what we would call the 22nd Psalm, when they understood that, and that came either back to their memory or they, some, you know, they grabbed a scroll and started reading it, and then the earthquake happened, and then the sky opened up, and, and, and the centurion, and, and then the Bible says, and those with him said, this, we've just killed the Son of God. Mm-hmm. This was the, surely, certainly, this was the Son of God. They based that upon the fulfillment of the prophecy they had just seen before their eyes. Not only had they seen it with their eyes, Mike, but they were involved in it. They were the ones hurling the insults. They were the ones piercing his hands and his feet. They were the ones saying, he saved others, let him save himself. They were the ones gambling for his clothing. So that day was an awesome day, Mike. What really happened at Calvary? Way more than people realize. I have never heard that before in my life. Yeah. Well, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to share it. Wow. We do have to take our break. Yeah. And when we get back, we're going to have not much time left. But when we get back, I want you to tell us what that death means. Okay. I will. Will you do that? I would be glad to. When Ask the Preacher continues. Welcome back to Ask the Preacher. I'm your host, Mike Bates. Carl Gallups, the pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church, is with us. I think, Carl, that the last segment was probably the best you've ever done. <laughs> well, I think, well, I appreciate that, Mike. It's, I'm sitting here well, it, stunned because it, I had never in my life heard that. It is a powerful truth, and um, I have preached it and taught it now for years in various uh, scenarios, seminars, conferences, revivals, and in our own church. But, uh, but it's not one that you hear often because most people tend to kind of go with the tradition and the emotional tug of, well, God turned his back on his son. And, and that's just not the Bible truth. The Bible truth is more profound than what you hear from a lot of pulpits. Well, and when you bring up that Psalms 22 was written a thousand years before 1, the birth of, of Jesus, yeah. and it was the fulfillment of that prophecy. It harkens back, in my mind, to the Prove the Existence of God show that we did, where you based that on some biblical prophecy as well, as well as actual events that occurred. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if you previously proved the existence of God, I think this show proves that Jesus was the Son of God. Yeah, and, and that was why the Roman centurion had that. I mean, after all he saw and all he heard, and he compared the scriptures back to that, that's why he, and the Bible says, and those around him said, oh my goodness, we, surely this was the Son of God. Yes, absolutely. That's the only conclusion you can come to. So what does that mean to me? And I don't mean me, Mike Bates. Yeah. I mean me, the person alive today. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, it means, number one, that Jesus was and is the Son of God, the sacrifice, the Messiah, the Christ, the Lamb of God, the only way of salvation, okay? Only His blood, only His cross can save us from our sin and guarantee us e eternity in heaven. So it means that, number one. Number two, it means something else very profound, Mike. It, 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 once you know 
based upon this prophecy a thousand years before and Jesus referring them to it and comparing and saying, oh my goodness, this is it. That's why the centurion said, this is the son of God. And when we, when you just heard the show and you said, oh my goodness, this is, this is him. His, this is Jesus. This is the son of God. Then we're faced with this. Listen to the insults that were being hurled at him, Mike. If you are the Christ, save us. Come down. If you are the Christ, do this. If you are the Christ, do that. Mike, those temptations... And that, that had to be a temptation for him in the human flesh because he had the power to come down from the cross. And it hurt. And Oh, yeah, and it hurt. But that temptation began when his ministry began. When he went into the wilderness, Satan came to him and said, if you are the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. If you are the son of God, then throw yourself down from this high place and I will give you, if you are the son of God. And then the Bible says, and the Satan left him for a more opportune time. You know when he showed up again, Mike? At the cross. And the voices of those thieves and those people around him, if you are the son of God, then save yourself and save us. Now, Mike, Jesus had the most unbelievable choice in his whole life. At that point in history, he had to decide, am I going to now save myself or am I going to save others? Mike, he chose to save me and you. He did not save himself. And he saved every single person that's listening, if they'll believe in him. If they will believe in him and surrender their life to him. That's what his death on the cross meant. Time has completely gotten away from us. We've got to wrap this up. www.hickoryhammockbaptist.org is the website. It's outstanding. Carl, you. would you please close us I in will. prayer? I will. And Jesus, I know that I've bumbled and fumbled around with this. It is much more holy and awesome than I could have ever made it. But I pray that you take the words that you've put in my mouth and uh, that you'll pierce the hearts of those listening and that they would understand that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and that they would bow their knee to you even this day and call upon you to save them. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name I make it. Amen. Amen.